It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only, call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And we welcome you to the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday. What is it today? June the 18th, 2015. Thank you for joining us tonight. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is here. Hello, Dad. Jacob, great to be with you. Sorry you don't even know what day it is, but we'll try to muddle through. <laughs> yeah, I do know my name. So I guess You're I'm ahead good. of some people. <laughs> yeah. We're looking forward to hearing from you tonight uh, at 877-381-4567. Email questions at collegeview.com and sign in the chat room as people are trickling in there now as we speak, and you can join in the discussion on the program tonight. Jacob, before we get into our topic, every week I want to push our upcoming community Bible study here in Columbia, Tennessee. So let me quickly talk about that. June 20th and 21st, we're going to have our annual community July. Bible study. July. What did I say, June? Yeah, July, June. July, July, July. July 20th and 21st, we're going to have our annual community Bible study here. Uh, and it, we, we go to a neutral site. We talk about a subject that we hope interests our community. Uh, this year we're going to talk about Islam. We're going to talk about the Christians' response to Islam. Okay. Uh, Bob Buchanan from Bowling Green, Kentucky is going to be here. Bob's done a lot of traveling all over the world. He's traveled to, to, uh, Muslim countries and done teaching there. And so he's knowledgeable on this subject. And we think it is a very pertinent topic for us to be discussing. So it's going to be at the, at, at the Memorial Building in downtown Columbia. That's on West 7th Street in downtown Columbia. July 20th and 21st at 7 p.m. each night. Uh, if you're within a driving distance of Columbia, Tennessee, you won't want to miss that. Try to make your plans, mark your calendar. Now, if you're too far away, and we know a lot of people are too far away to be able to travel to that, we will, Lord willing, be able to put all that up, uh, both audio and video, on our website. Okay. So uh, be here if you can, July 20, 20th and 21st. Yeah. Monday. It's a Monday and a Monday Tuesday. Monday and Tuesday at 7 o'clock. And if you're not within driving distance, check our website and our podcast feed. We'll put it in the podcast feed as well. Uh, but uh, you'll definitely want to be there in person if you can, and we'll look forward to that discussion. Yeah. Uh, lots of uh, good community attendance in the past, and look for that as well. We hope time. that'll be true, too. Yeah. All right. So our topic for tonight, Jacob, earlier today to the update list, we sent out an email indicating what our study was going to be about. We do that every week. You can get on our list by sending us an email to questions at collegeview.com and just say, add me to the list, and we'll do it. And we we talked to our update list today. We let you know that we want to talk about the idea of eternal punishment. Yeah. Uh, will there be an eternal punishment for the wicked? Some people teach no. Yeah, that there will that the wicked will just be annihilated. Right, by God, another will cease to exist. Some prominent religious groups. Yeah, yeah. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. Yeah. Name some of them and some of the people who are teaching that. But that's what we want to talk about: it eternal punishment or annihilation. Okay. But which position does the Bible sustain? Okay. So here's the questions we sent out. Number one: Will wicked people be annihilated, or will they continue to exist in a state of eternal punishment? Number two, do the words destroy in Matthew 10.28 or destruction in 2 Thessalonians 1.9 indicate that God intends to annihilate the wicked? Those are a couple of proof texts okay. that the annihilists try yeah. to use. We'll try, we're, we're going to deal with those texts. Okay. Number three, what is the second death mentioned in the book of Revelation in four places? And does the second death suggest an annihilation? Okay. That's another argument that sometimes is made. Okay. Then a question I think troubles a lot of people. How can a loving God send people to hell? Yes. Talk about that. And yeah. then finally, a little bit different but sort of related, what about the idea of reincarnation? Does the Bible teach that a person dies and, and if they're not ready for eternity yet, they'll come back in another life, maybe spend another, take another shot at it. Take another shot. Uh, sort of the idea of reincarnation. There are a lot of groups, not so many 
uh, I think, so-called Christian groups teaching reincarnation, but a lot of world religions hold yeah. to that idea. Yeah. So we'll talk about that. All right. Uh, let us know your thoughts on this important subject tonight. 877-381-4567. Is God going to just punish the wicked, or is he going to uh, annihilate the wicked is the question tonight. Yeah, so get us your feedback. And, Jacob, you've already given the contact info. We'll be watching our email inbox. Uh, get in the chat room. Give yourself a, a name, a real name or a pen name, and uh, let us know what you think about this question. First thing we need to point out is that a lot of people are – this is not a insignificant question. There are a lot of people who are denying the notion of hell. I had a, a number of quotes that I had saved um, – U.S. News and World Report had a cover story on this a while back, and th- and they said, by most accounts, hell has all but disappeared from the pulpit rhetoric of mainline Protestantism. It's not popular today. No. It's uh, not politically correct. Kenneth Cancer, Cancer, K-A-N-T-Z-E-R, editor of Christianity Today, said, I haven't preached a sermon on hell in more than three decades. Thirty years. Wow. A man by the name of Krauss, who is pastor of the Dunbarton Methodist Church in Washington, D.C., said, my congregation would be stunned to hear a sermon on hell. Wow. It's in poor taste now, Marty, yeah. to talk about hell. Martin Marty, a professor Marty. of Bible at the University of Chicago, said, hell has disappeared and no one noticed. Oh, yeah. And even a former president of Pepperdine University, of course, Pepperdine University is a university that's been historically associated with Churches of Christ, said, for years I have lived with the developing pressure because of my intellectual conflict with the fundamentalistic dogmas and doctrines of the Church of Christ. For years it has been increasingly difficult for me to accept the simplistic assumptions of the hellfire and brimstone which most preachers in this church teach. So he's, he's uncomfortable with that idea. So he's denying that. But I, I found some other interesting quotes. Well, he'd be uncomfortable with Jesus' teaching because Jesus spoke of hell repeatedly. Yeah, and, and we're, we want to point that and, out. But it, yeah. you know, just that, I mean, it's just a, it's just a haughty, arrogant attitude. Say, well, it's just I, I can't, I can't be, I can't teach about that. Uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses teach that hell, uh, a hell of eternal or everlasting punishment, is quote an unreasonable doctrine that contradicts the Bible. Wow, that's the, in their book. Make sure of all things. Mm-hmm. Uh, but here's some more people associated with Churches of Christ. Edward Fudge. In a book called, uh, wrote a book called The Fire That Consumes, mm-hmm. and it he taught Annihilation. F. Lagarde Smith, who was formerly at Pepperdine University, which we just referenced their former president, he's now at David Lipscomb University in Nashville, and he's argued that same way for Annihilation. Uh, a fellow by the name of Stephen Clark Goad, uh, who is a pretty uh, prominent writer, uh, associated with the Churches of Christ, wrote an essay s- entitled Believer in Heaven and Hell, a non-traditional view. And in it he said, quote, Jesus spoke of eternal punishment, but he never hinted of continual torture of souls that live on and on in some state of anguish and torment. Okay. So you get, you get the idea. A whole lot of people are denying it. Oh, and I found this one. I thought this one was real interesting, Jacob. Albert Einstein. Albert Einstein. Albert Einstein. You haven't quote, I, have yeah. you quoted him before yeah. on this yeah. program? No, I don't think so. No. Uh, Albert Einstein, he actually did believe in some sort of supreme being. Yeah. Uh, and, and said that he thought this supreme being revealed himself in the order of the universe, you know. Yeah. That's not that he believed in the God of the Bible, but he did believe in some such supreme being. Uh, but specifically, he did not believe in the God of the Bible because he said, quote, I cannot imagine a God who rewards and punishes the objects of his creation. Mm. So even Albert Einstein denied the notion of if, of an eternal hell of punishment. All right. Well, uh, so. Uh, a lot of people deny it. It's not a far out thing to say, oh, you know, that we need to talk about this because, as you said, there are a lot of people who are denying it. Yeah. Um, but let's go, let's, in answer to question number one, will the wicked be annihilated or will they continue to exist in a state of eternal punishment? Uh, let's just quote Jesus on that. Okay. Uh, uh, Matthew 5, verse 22. I say to you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Whosoever shall say to his brother Rekha shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of hellfire. Jesus taught hellfire. Yeah. 
in, in that same Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, verses 29 and 30, he said, If thy right hand, or excuse me, if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it for, from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. Uh, and so, the idea that, it, it, you know, interestingly, the idea of hell was mentioned more by Jesus than any other person in the New Testament. Right. Jesus certainly taught hell. Yeah. And so to deny that hell exists would be denying what Jesus has said. And to say you got a problem with it would be the equivalent of saying you have a problem with Jesus and what he said. Uh, so we've got to understand that uh, there's some place called hell. What it all entails, well, you need to talk about some more, but certainly there is a place called hell. Yeah, Jesus clearly taught it. And interestingly, he taught that in in relationship to our question tonight, he taught that it would be unending. Uh, A couple of passages here in um, Matthew 25, Matthew 25, verse 41, Depart from me, ye accursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. So it's everlasting fire. In Mark 9, verses 43 and 44, he spoke of those who will go into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched, where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. Yeah. So I I just don't see how you can read the words that Jesus said concerning hell and come away with the idea that there will be an annihilation, that it will be a one-time deal and over when he consistently talked about it in terms of eternity and everlasting. Um, in that text we referenced a minute ago in Matthew 25, you may remember the last half of Matthew 25 is sort of a, Jesus is picturing the judgment scene and those who will come before him and right. what they'll be told. Right. Uh, when Jesus spoke about uh, everlasting fire or everlasting punishment, he also talked about life eternal. Matthew five, Matthew 25, verse 46. These shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. Now, uh, I'm, I'm going to say, I'm going to take my stand on that verse, that however long life eternal is, is how long the everlasting punishment will be. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I really think that verse teaches that. All right. Let us know what you have to say about this subject. It's everlasting fire, prepare for the devil and his angel. And so what do you say? How can you um, can you uh, explain an annihilation that won't last forever? Uh, let us know your thoughts. Um, you know, it wasn't just Jesus that taught the reality of hell. The apostles taught it as well. Here's a quote from the apostle Paul, Romans 2, beginning verse 6. God will render every man according to his deeds, to them who by patient continuance in well-doing for glory and honor, immortality, eternal life, but unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil, of the Jew first and also the Greek. And so the idea of hell was taught not just by Jesus, but by his inspired apostles as well. Okay. Uh, We want to hear from you on the program tonight. Jesus repeatedly taught about hell. And he said it was everlasting, as you referenced there in Matthew chapter 25, verse 46. It's an everlasting punishment. An annihilation is not an everlasting punishment. You cannot define annihilation as an everlasting punishment. Uh, it is uh, clear from what Jesus says that hell is a place that it, it, it continues forever. I think that's right. And and so, you know, uh, what are we going to say? I mean, it, uh, we're uncomfortable with that. That terminology, we're we're uncomfortable with that notion. We just can't imagine. We we want to talk about this a little bit later in the program. How could a loving God send a, uh, one of His creatures to oh. such a a destination as that? Uh, it, it's clear that people are uncomfortable with it. But the fact of the matter is, the Bible clearly teaches that. And I want to look at one thing All right. uh, in Matthew Matthew twenty five verse forty six again. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. The Greek word for everlasting and the Greek word for eternal are the same words there. That's what I was just looking at. Jesus Jesus used the same word uh, for both 
terms. So if yeah. if hell is a temporary place, then so is the reward in heaven. It'd be just a temporary thing. Yeah. But that, that's a that's a key point we want to stress there. Matthew twenty five forty six. These shall go away into everlasting punishment. Everlasting. That word. Hold on to that because the next phrase says, "But the righteous into life eternal." That's the same Greek word. Mm-hmm. Everlasting punishment, life eternal. Yep. It's the same word. So, however long eternal life is, is how long the punishment will be in hell. We could use some uh, synonyms. Uh, Strong gives us some of those: perpetual, eternal, forever, or everlasting. Yeah. Same word uh, for both of the, both. I just, I really think, I, I think that's hard to get around, Jacob. I don't know how, I don't know how anybody can get around that. That seems to me to be pretty straightforward. We'll take a break and get your thoughts on the other side of the break as we talk about hell. Now, granted, we've got no vested interest in this position yeah. I mean, because certainly I think it would be a, a okay what would you rather would you yeah, right. it, it, Imani and I were talking about this yesterday Imani what, what would be your druthers I would far and away rather have annihilation because if it works out that I've lived poorly and haven't been obedient and go and, and I'm not going to go to heaven if I could just be poof and I'm gone and like I've never been it would be okay if, if that was the case and I believe that I doubt seriously that I would even try to be a Christian I'd go ahead and do whatever I wanted to do live the way I like to live do whatever pleases me because I know that it's not really going to matter anyway because I'm just going to be dead and gone yeah uh, I have a preacher friend who uses the expression an invitation to low living yeah. the idea of annihilation would almost be an invitation to living just Low, an invitation yeah. to low living. Just go ahead and live it up because all that's going to happen is you're just going to get annihilated. And, you're just not going to be anymore. No, so so what? Uh, that may be part of the attraction of the doctrine. It'd be really comforting. Yeah. So what we're saying is if we had our druthers, we would rather take the position of annihilation. It's much easier, more palatable, easier to, to deal with philosophically. Right. But it's just not what the scriptures teach. Okay. Let's get a break, and we'll get your thoughts on the other side. Rick in the chat room has posed a question or a comment about number four that you ask: How can a loving God send people to hell? So we need to talk about that. Yeah, we're going to because I think that's a big question on a lot of people's minds. They don't know how to how to reconcile that. Yeah, but when we get back, there are some proof texts that we need to look at, yeah. and so we'll look at those. Uh, we'll get uh, your thoughts on the other side of the break. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. Now you can listen to a podcast of a recent sermon every week. Find out more at collegeview.com. There's more of the virtual Bible study right after these important messages. Hello, everyone. I'm Brett Haynes. I'm a member of the College View Church of Christ. A lot of people in the religious world today tell us that as long as our heart is right and we truly love God, we can do whatever we want in our service to Him. They say that what we do doesn't matter because God is only interested in our heart. I believe they have it all wrong. True, God is interested in our hearts, but He's also interested in our actions. One reason why is because our actions describe the true condition of our heart. This is what Jesus taught in Matthew 12, verse 34, when he said, For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. So I believe that if we are doing whatever we want to in our service and are not serving God exactly like he has asked, then our heart is not right before God. The members of the College View Church of Christ are committed to making sure that both our hearts and our actions are pleasing to God. If you're interested in doing the same, we encourage you to join us for worship this Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. Here's some quotes worth pondering. A dog is loved by old and young. He wags his tail and not his tongue. Contentment isn't getting what we want, but being satisfied with what we have. Your words are windows to your heart. Man, wish I'd said that. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Colossians 3.17. Now, back to the program. We're back on the program tonight as we talk about hell and what the Bible teaches about it. Is it an eternal punishment or is it simply an annihilation? What are your thoughts on that tonight? Um, we're going to go to our second question that we sent out to our update list. The well, first question before we do that, I've got a couple email oh, responses okay, to yeah, cover here. Those. Chris from the UK, he answers, they will continue to exist. The rich man was conscious and could talk, feel, and, and fear for his relatives. It, if it was temporary, how would he know it would still be here for them? 
Uh, also, the same word for eternal, and he references that Greek word, which I will not try to pronounce, is used for heaven and as well as hell. So hell lasts as long as heaven does, and the both are as long as the Lord exists. That's what, that's a good point. We didn't get to the rich man and Lazarus, which uh, those who believe in annihilation want to uh, vehemently oppose that uh, that story. But it's clear in that story that Jesus told yes. in Luke 16 right. that the rich man who went to torment was still conscious, was not annihilated. He can he he as as Chris said, he was aware and he was concerned for the well-being of his brothers who he didn't want to come to that same place. Yeah. Uh, so there, ha- that has to be worked into the equation here as we look at that. Uh, uh, Ramona from Texas sends in. She says, Seventh-day Adventists argue that the idea of eternal anguish in hell is not biblical. They argue that the wicked will be annihilated after an uh, appropriate punishment. And then the Jehovah's Witnesses believe that the uh, that everlasting punishment is an unreasonable doctrine. But they should see Matthew 5, verse 22, the danger of hell even preachers, uh, she references Edward Fudge of today, say unrighteous people will be raised to judgment, punished for a while, and then banished to total everlasting extinction. But there is eternal punishment. And she references Psalm 116, verse 3. It described a particularly distressing time in his life as being like Sheol, which in this context represents the state of punishment for lost people immediately following death. He noted that it was an existence of pain where he found trouble and sorrow. Jonah being in the belly of the whale was like being in Sheol, an environment of affliction, references Jonah 2, verse 2. Daniel wrote concerning the condemned who are raised from the dust to a state of shame and everlasting contempt, Daniel 12, verse 2. And Jesus declared that those who die unprepared will be subjected to eternal punishment in Matthew 25, Verse 46. Now, that, you, that Matthew 25, four, verse 46, got to be a key, pivotal, pivotal key verse in this discussion. Okay. All right. So let's move to the second part of this then. <clears throat> a couple of proof texts that are sometimes used to suggest the idea of annihilation. Okay. One of them is Matthew 10, verse 28. <coughs> there must be something in the air here, Jacob. It's getting yeah, you're choked, all up. choked up. Matthew 10, verse 28, Do not fear those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Notice the word destroy there. Fear him who is able to destroy soul and body in hell. <clears throat> the idea of the soul being destroyed. Yes. Uh, that That's the argument being made. The soul doesn't continue to exist for the wicked. The soul is destroyed. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, maybe from that English word we might come to that conclusion, but that's not what the word really means literally. Okay. The word destroy is in the in the verb form <coughs> in the Greek. Yes. Apolumai. Apolumai. It's used ninety times in the New Testament. The, okay. the the noun form of that word is used eighteen times, so altogether over a hundred times. And there's not a single instance in the English New Testament where that word is translated to go out of existence. Wow, okay. Uh, instead, it's used, it's translated by words like perish or lose or loss or destroy. Okay. Let me give you a couple examples of that, Jacob. In Luke chapter 5, verse 37, Jesus talked about a wineskin that cracks open and is no longer usable. You remember that text? I do remember talk- that. Yeah. Jesus said that old wineskin perishes. The same word destroys. Yeah, it's destroyed or it's perished, but it doesn't go out of existence. Right, it's not usable. It's okay. lost. It's okay. lost to a usable uh, okay. form. In Luke fifteen verse four and six, uh, the word is used to describe a sheep that wanders away from the safety of the fold and is lost. Yeah, that's that same word. Um, the prodigal son in Luke fifteen verse twenty four, he was lost. To his father, but obviously he was not, not annihilated. annihilated. Okay. He didn't cease to exist. Yeah. In John chapter six verse twenty-seven, food that spoils is said to have perished. Same word. Okay. It didn't cease to exist. So there's no place where that word is used to suggest the idea of cease to be, no longer exist. It talks about it being a ruined or lost or perished state, but not 
that it has gone out of existence. And we don't, and we use the same way that the word we even use the word destroy the same way in the English language. You could destroy something doesn't mean you annihilate it, but you've just you've damaged it. Yeah, uh, I destroyed my car last week. Yeah. It's not. Is it just poof? It's gone. It's, it, it it you know it, let's just you know I had a wreck. I destroyed my car. Well, but I mean the, the metal and all of the parts are still there. They're just all mangled up. It doesn't mean in a bad. They're in a bad condition. They're in a bad condition, but they're yeah. not. They're not in, in non-existent yeah, state. Right. Um, here's another example in Matthew chapter eight verse twenty-five. Remember when the disciples were afraid that they were drowning on the Sea of Galilee? They thought afraid they were in a ship. They were afraid they would be lost. Yeah. They said, "We are perishing." Same word. Yeah. They didn't say we're about to be annihilated. <laughs> yeah. We're about to go out of existence. Yeah. They yeah. didn't. They didn't say that. Here's what Vine says about that word. The idea is not of extinction, but of ruin, loss, uh, uh, loss of well-being. Okay. Uh, Thayer says it's used metaphorically to denote or give over to eternal misery. A. T. Robertson says destroy here is not annihilation, but eternal punishment. Um. Now here, here's one more. I, I saw this. I didn't come up with this, but I thought this was a pretty neat little argument here. Okay, let's go to the Book of Revelation. We're going to go to Revelation. Look at some proof texts here in a minute that they try to misuse. But let's go to go to Revelation chapter 17. 17. In Revelation chapter 17, at verse eight. Verse eight. The beast that thou sawest was and is not, and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. And they that dwell on the earth shall wonder, and so on it goes. Uh, notice the word perdition there is the same word that we're talking about that's used in Matthew 10. We're talking about Matthew 10, 28, mm-hmm. destroy soul and body in hell. Yeah. Apolumai. This is the same word, the word perdition. So the beast was going to go into perdition. He was going to be destroyed, going to destruction. But notice in chapter 20 of Revelation, in chapter 20, at verse 10, it says there that uh, the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. So he's going to be destroyed. He's going to go into perdition. Same word that, Je- that Jesus used when he said, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Apolumai. A little bit of he's going, to be ca- he's going to be cast into Apolumai. He's, yeah. going, to be, he's going to be destroyed. Yeah. What will that destruction involve? Yeah, some... uh, he's going to be tormented day and night forever and ever. Okay. And so, you know, he didn't. He, the the word did not mean he would be annihilated or cease to exist. I mean, he'd be destroyed. He'd be cast into perdition. He'd be lost, and they would involve constant, unending torment. All right. Eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven. Questions at collegeview.com. Rick <laughs> makes an interesting comment. He says, many people, including those who claim to be Christians, live, live as if they believe in annihilation. Because of their contact, they can, tend to lose a sense of credibility uh, to the doctrine. Yeah, yeah because of their conduct. They oh, tend so to, kind of, their conduct, yeah. yeah, they tend to lend a sense of, of credibility to the doctrine of annihilation. Yeah. In other words, they're, they're living in such a way, Monty, that they, and they act like they have no fear of, of eternal damnation. You know, people do live that way. We see it all the time. They confess to be Christians and religious people, but then they you can't tell the difference in their actions from the people in the world that have no religious profession. Don't you so, think they, re- they really don't believe in hell? A, a person who says, well, I guess I'll just die and go to hell. A person who would say that doesn't really believe what the Bible says about hell. You know, I've got family members that say that yeah. and others that said they didn't care if they went to hell or not. And you know, like, they, they hated another family member, and if that meant they was going to hell, fine. They'd just go because they weren't going to quit hating them. If they really had a grasp of hell and what that means, how could they possibly say they that? They couldn't say that. Exactly right. All right, real quickly, uh, we need to squeeze this in. Well, we're almost a break. But the, the other passage that we asked there, what about Second Thessalonians 1, verse 9? Paul said, you that are afflicted, rest with us at the revelation of the Lord Jesus from heaven with the angels of his power in flaming fire, rendering vengeance to them that know not God and to them that obey not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall suffer punishment, even eternal destruction from the face of the Lord, from the glory of his might. They're going to face eternal destruction. But notice in the very verse, the eternal destruction is paralleled with suffering punishment. Yeah. Well, suffering surely denotes consciousness. 
Uh, how could someone who ceases to exist suffer in punishment? How could it be an well, everlasting destruction? Yeah, it, it doesn't. That doesn't even make sense. But here's here's a good argument in regards to that word. Yeah. The word uh, destruction from from the Greek olethros does not demand the idea of annihilation. In Jeremiah 31, okay, Jeremiah 31. Now, remember, the Old Testament Hebrew was translated in the Septuagint into Greek. So when they translated Jeremiah 31, verse 8, into the Greek, they used that word. The same word, okay. Olethros. Yes. And Jeremiah said there in Jeremiah 31, verse 8, that destruction concerning the nation of Moab he said destruction, olethros, would come upon every city. He declared that both plain and valley would be destroyed. Now, that, that's, how, that's the word he used in the Septuagint translation of Jeremiah 31, verse 8. Well, that came to pass. In uh, 581 B.C., the Babylonians came. Uh, they captured both the Ammonites and the Moabites. That, and, but they, the Moabites did not go out of existence. They were destroyed. They were, they were punished. As a nation, they, they ceased to be. But yeah. individually, they, there they were still, some of them running around. There were still Moabites. Uh, well, they were subjected. They were subjected to the Babylonians, but they didn't go out of existence. They didn't, and that's what we're saying. The word doesn't mean to cease to exist. But well, when you think about where it said both plain and valley would be destroyed, the land is still there. Yeah. It hadn't been annihilated. Even, even not to a this day. hole all the way through the earth or yeah. wherever to that. That, yeah. that property is still there. Yeah. So it wasn't annihilated. Exactly right. All right. right. Let's grab our break. When we come back, we want to look at some other proof texts from the book of Revelation that, that the annihilists try to use. So we got Revelation 2, 11, 20, verse 6, and verse uh, 14, as well as 21, verse 8 in Revelation. So we'll have a look at those during the break. When we get back, we'll take your thoughts. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. Don't touch that mouse. The virtual Bible study will be back right after this. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. Our bullet point this week comes from the pen of Bob Dickey. With his thumb, a hitchhiker says, you furnish the car, gas, attend to the repairs and upkeep, supply the insurance, and I'll ride with you. But you must be going my way, and if you have an accident, I'll sue for the damages. Sounds pretty one-sided, doesn't it? There are hitchhikers in other places than just along the roadways. Unfortunately, there are sometimes hitchhikers in local churches. These members seem to say, you go to the Bible classes, attend all the various assemblies, do the visitation and personal work, shoulder the responsibilities, take care of the meeting house and grounds, and all of the things that need doing, and I'll go along for the ride. But if things aren't done to suit me, I will complain, criticize, and probably get out and hitchhike to another group. You've seen them too, haven't you? You've seen professing Christians that seem to just be going along for the ride. They frustrate the growth and progress of the local church. Because of indifference or lack of total commitment, they add nothing to the furtherance of the Lord's cause. The only thing they add is more work for the faithful. Preachers and elders are usually at a loss to know how to awaken them to a sense of their personal responsibility. Many times they become so accustomed to riding the coattails of others that they seem to know of no other way to travel. What do we say to hitchhiking church members? Shall we let them keep on depending on others without learning to pull their own weight? Shall we stand quietly by while they slip closer to eternity, unprepared to meet the Lord's judgment? No. Someone needs to remind these thumbing members that they will never be able to hitch a ride to heaven. And going along just for the ride hinders and holds back the congregation's work. If you know of a church member hitchhiker like these we have described, why not lovingly talk to him or her about their soul and the need for their help and cooperation? Hitchhikers are not permitted on the interstate expressways these days. Let's remember that they're not allowed on the Lord's Highway either. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. My name is Jim Meisner. I worship at the Church of Christ in Deckerville, Michigan. Be sure to listen to the virtual Bible study and watch it. Use your internet connection for something good. Listen to the virtual Bible study every week. Now, back to the program. Back on the program tonight. Remind you, this program is brought to you by the College of Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Find out more about us by visiting our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com. And we'll remember, remind you again, mark your calendars for July 20th and 21st, 2015, for the Community Bible Study in Columbia, Tennessee. You can find out more by emailing us, questions at collegeu.com. If you're in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we at the Memorial Building, July 20th and 21st, 2015, on the subject of the Christian and Islam. 
uh, with Bob Buchanan bringing the lessons. You'll want to be here for that. All right. Talking about hell on the program tonight. Is it annihilation or is it eternal punishment? All right. So some who believe that the wicked will be annihilated will use some four four places in the book of Revelation that talk of the second death. Okay. Revelation 2.11. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. Okay. Well, there's the first death, people say, and then there's the second death, and the second death is annihilation, you're gone. Mm-hmm. Chapter 20, verses 6 and 14. Chapter 20, verse 6, Blessed are the uh, blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection on such a, the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Verse 14, chapter 20, verse 14 Death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And then 21, verse 8, the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake that burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. All right, so, you know, the idea is is you're going to go die physically, and then you're going to, just like, you, you know, you die physically, you die spiritually, you cease to exist is the argument of the second death. Okay. Uh, but really death, the, the, the notion of death is, is the notion of separation. Physical death is the separation of the soul and body. Yes. When the soul departs the body, that's the biblical definition of death, the separation of soul and body. Eternal or spiritual death is the separation from God. And so this is just eternal separation from God is the idea of the second death. The biblical definition of death is found in James chapter 2, verse 26, where we read, for, the body with, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Death is a separation. Exactly. Spirit separating from the body is death. And so, is, so we understand then that uh, we should read the term death not as being an annihilation, but a separation. Yeah. Um, Thayer says that the word here, the expression second death, means the miserable state of the wicked dead in hell. But just as a as an exercise, try substituting annihilation in okay. those verses that we All just right, read. Let's see how that looks. Uh, and and it, 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 it renders them absurd. Start back. Chapter 2, verse 11. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second annihilation. Whether you are, if you had a first annihilation, if death means annihilation, <laughs> and you had a first annihilation, how would you even be around for a second oh, annihilation? There you go. Uh, skip over to chapter twenty, verse six. Blessed and, holy, blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such, the second annihilation hath no power. Yeah. How, how could that be? Chapter twenty, verse fourteen. Death and hell. Uh, annihilation and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second annihilation. Yeah. You've been annihilated. You can't be cast anywhere. You're no. not around anymore. Yeah. And then it's uh, chapter 21, verse 8 mentions all those who, you know, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, whoremongers. Uh, they'll have their part in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second annihilation. It's mm. senseless. It's absolutely senseless. Good observations. Let us know in the chat room tonight. If you're not signed in, it's easy to do. Some more folks trickling in, but not signing in. It's easy to do. Sign into the bottom of your window. Now, uh, Chris in the U.K. responded. He, he answered the question, do the words destroy in Matthew 10:28 or destruction in 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 9, indicate that God intends to annihilate the wicked? He says in Matthew, destroy is to put is put in direct comparison with kill, the latter being a, a one-time instant act. Whereas destroy is eternal death along with exclusion from Christ's kingdom. Also, if destroyed is to be annihilated, then how or why would the fear be different? The first is a hypothetical future forbidding a fear, but the second is seen as an instruction to revere the one who can kill and will carry out a future judgment which will not subside. Paul defines the destruction one for you in saying that it is the separation from the face of the Lord and from the glory of his might, an eternity of woe, not a quick cessation of life. And Ramona in Texas on these words, destroy and destruction, says it shows that God can destroy both the body and soul. So when what Jesus says is, or so then what Jesus says is that we should not shape our lives by any threat men may pose against us. We should live our lives in total obedience to God and his laws, CX 529. If men kill us, that it will only be temporary. If God kills us, it will be Forever, and on to the idea of set of uh, the second death. Chris in the UK says, 
The second death is eternal, eternal separation from God. Plus, in 21 verse 8, it is equivocated with the lake of fire. Does it suggest annihilation? No. It is the lake of fire holding water. Or if the lake of fire is means holding water, then where... Sorry. If it is, it is if the lake of fire meaning holding water, then it is where the worm does not die and it and the fire is not quenched. And then Ramona uh, says the second death means it is what will happen to those on Judgment Day who will be sent to hell for their uh, for their hell. They have denied God and therefore die the second death and will will be separated from Him forever. This condition will be final. The destruction is permanent. The lake of fire has nothing to do with the rapture. Okay, thank you for those comments. All right, I think we've tried to deal uh, adequately with the so-called proof text that these people use. Yeah. But I think the bigger question is not whether you can twist a scripture to come to your conclusion about annihilation. I don't think they can. I don't think I don't think the word study approach works. Okay. In other words, I can't find a word in the in the scripture that would teach that God will annihilate the wicked. I can't find it. Okay. And so Maybe a philosophical argument instead of a word study argument. Maybe a philosophical argument comes, and that's our next question: How could a loving God send people to hell? And that really troubles a lot of people. I mean, uh, a lot of folks are are really torn up about that. Um, several quotes from famous atheists suggest that this maybe is at the root of their rejection of the of God. Right. Yeah, uh, I think Bertrand Russell and some others, Robert Ingersoll, uh, said that this was the thing that troubled them most of all, the idea that a loving God, supposedly loving God, would send people to hell. I think Christians, uh, even though Christians believe in God, is still a troubling concept, and we need to be able to have an answer to that. We need to, we need to be able to reconcile that in our mind. Okay. Should we take a break and get back to that? Or? Well, let's do that. Let's do. Let's, let's, let's grab our last break and then come back and talk about how could a loving God send anybody to hell? All right. We'll do that and get your thoughts on the other side. If you're not in the chat room, sign in there and uh, chat with other listeners. Let us know your thoughts there on the program tonight. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. These guys are doing all of the talking. We need to hear from you. Call in now. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. Hi. My name is Mike Johnson. I'm a member here at the College of You Church of Christ. Have you ever heard someone say that the members of the Church of Christ are too legalistic? Generally, people say this when we say that we must be careful to follow all the commands that God has given us. When we say, God says we must do this, or God doesn't command us to do that, people respond with, the members of the Church of Christ are too legalistic. Well, while it may be impossible to know exactly what people mean when they make this accusation, if they are accusing us of being legalistic because we say that we should follow all the instructions that God has given us, then that accusation is correct. But let me ask you this. Which of the commands that God has given us should we ignore? Can we pick and choose which commands we follow, or must we follow them all? Jesus said we have to follow all the commands of God when he said in Luke chapter 6, verse 46, And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? We want to call Jesus our Lord, so we try to follow all the commandments that he has given us. Us. We don't in any way think that following God's commands earns our salvation, but we do think it is necessary to be pleasing to Him. Here at the College of You Church of Christ, we're trying to follow every command that God has given us. If, as a result, some people call us legalistic, then so be it. We think it's what God calls being righteous. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. Peter Singer is a professor of bioethics at Princeton University's Center for Human Values. He said he favors, quote, only lives worth living. Thus, he says, killing disabled babies is not only justified, but, quote, in the public's best interest. Parents, he argues, should have the right to a one-month grace period to decide whether to allow their newborns to live or not. That information is via the National Review. The Word of God says in Romans chapter 13, verse 10, For this, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet, and if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Broadcasting around the world with truths that are out of this world. The Virtual Bible Study. Take it away, guys. All right, we're back on the program tonight as we talk about hell, and if it is an eternal uh, damnation or if it's just an annihilation, it has been... uh, a, a subject that may be perhaps coming becoming more uh, uh, considered that hell doesn't exist. It's not an eternal punishment. Rob Bell, in his book Love Wins, 
Uh, he says this. Uh, he says it has been clearly communicated to many that this belief in a that being in a hell as conscious eternal torment is a central truth of the Christian faith, and to reject it is, in essence, to reject Jesus, which is what we said. And so he said that's what it has become in, in the Christian faith. But notice what he says. This is a misguided and toxic and ultimately subver- uh, this is misguided and toxic and ultimately subverts the contagious spread of Jesus' message of love, peace, forgiveness, and joy that our world desperately needs to hear. So yeah. he says we're being toxic if we say Jesus said hell's eternal. Good while back we dealt with that book Love Wins by Rob Bell. Yeah. Uh and uh, there were a number of things in there that he rejects, number of biblical truths that he rejects really based upon his own human philosophy and wisdom. All right. Yeah. All right. So how do we deal with it? How are we going to deal with the idea? How, does, how are we going to answer someone who says, how can a loving God send people to hell? Well, first of all, I think we should acknowledge that God certainly is love. He's a loving God. I mean, I don't know how we could how, – how could God have demonstrated his love any more thoroughly than he did in sending his son Jesus to die on the cross. First John 4, verse 8, he that, loveth knoweth, he that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. You want a one-word description of God? Uh, God is love. Yeah. Uh, Romans 5, verse 8, God committed his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What's the, what, what could be a clearer, more perfect manifestation yeah. of his love? Second uh, Peter three verse nine, the Lord is not uh, the Lord is long suffering to us. We're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. First Timothy two verse four, God desires all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. So God is a loving God that wants everybody to be saved. I mean, the Bible is just so thoroughly teaches that that notion. But having said that, God is love. We're not saying that God is only love. Or that he, he's love and no other characteristic. He possesses no other characteristic other than love. We could also say not only is God love, but God is also a God of justice. And he demands justice. Habakkuk 1 verse 13. Thine eyes are too pure to approve evil. Thou cannot look on wickedness with favor. Yeah. Psalm 5 verse 4. For thou art not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness. No evil dwells with thee. Deuteronomy 32, verse 4, his work is perfect, for all his ways are just, a God of faithfulness and without injustice, righteousness and upright, righteous and upright is he. Uh, Genesis eighteen twenty five. shall not the judge of all the earth do right. Yeah. So God is a God of love, but God is also a God of justice. Yeah, that's the comments that Rick made in the chat room earlier in the program. He said, can the concept that God is loving and kind and therefore would not punish be addressed by addressing the need for justice being needed for the aggrieved? I think that's exactly it. I think I think Rick's got he it. He references Romans chapter 3, verse 26, where it references God as being both just and the justifier. There is this... Demand upon God as someone who, uh, as as a just God, that sin must have consequences. That's inherent in God's nature. Yeah. So, so we got these two. We got these two elements of God's character. God is love. First John four verse eight. But God is also a consuming fire. Hebrews twelve verse twenty nine. Uh, in, in fact, Paul said it this way in Romans eleven verse twenty two. Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God. Yeah. There's two sides of this coin. Right. So how do we reconcile those two things? The cross of cross Jesus Christ. Right. John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He's a God of love and he's a God of justice. Evil, sin, wickedness demands justice and God made a provision whereby that that need for justice could be satisfied by allowing his son uh, to serve as a sacrifice for the sins of all mankind. All right. Thank you for your comments tonight, Rick. Uh, Chris in the U.K. says, Though God, in Ezekiel 33, verse 11, takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked person should turn away from uh, turn from his way and live, and in John 5, verse 24, Jesus says, Anyone who hears my word and believes in believes him uh, and believes 
him who sent me has eternal life and will not come under judgment, but has passed from death to life. In First Timothy two verse four, God wants everyone to be saved and come to knowledge of truth. In First Peter and Second Peter chapter three verse nine, He is patient with all, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. So who sends someone to hell? Is Chris's question. Do they go of their own choice? God surely has done all He can do to prevent anyone from going there. And so I think Chris that's says, uh, you know, God. I think that's the key. The choice is yeah. up to us now. Yeah. You know, the Bible, there's a lot of passages in the Scripture. I had several noted famous ones. Uh, Deuteronomy 30, verse 19, I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life, that thou mayest love the Lord thy God, that thou mayest obey his voice, that thou mayest cleave unto him, for he is thy life. Joshua 24:15. if it seem evil to you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve. Yeah. And of course, Joshua said, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Isaiah 65, 12. Uh, when I called, you did not answer. When I spake, you did not hear, but did evil before mine eyes and did choose that wherein I delighted not. Romans 6, verse 16, know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience and righteousness. It's your choice. So, you know, in the end, when all is said and done, God is love. God is a just God. God's justice demands a punishment for evil. He's made a a way for that requirement to be satisfied by allowing his son Jesus to die on the cross and shed his innocent blood there for, for the atonement of mankind. Now it's our choice. Will we accept that or not? That's right. That's absolutely right. Uh, Ramona says uh, he didn't want to send people to hell, but this fruit of uh, this is the fruit of sin. But also, God will leave no stone unturned to rescue all who will respond to him. And so, uh, yeah, Ramona makes similar comments there. Now, here's a here's a related question we're not going to get into tonight, Jacob. But Sarah in Australia sent in a comment, and she said something that really troubles her is, what about people who never heard about yeah. the atonement through Jesus? What what about those who never heard the gospel? Yeah. And would it be would it be right? For God to punish them who never knew yes. to take advantage of the sacrificial death of Jesus. I think that's also a very troubling question. And I, I emailed Sarah back and said, we're going to try to deal with that more thoroughly on a subsequent uh, okay. program. But, you know, uh, the answer's there. But there's some other aspect. The answer is God's, God is a God of love and justice. His justice demands that evil be punished. But he's made a way for that demand of justice to be satisfied through sending his son Jesus. but And that's why that is the answer. Yeah. But the the follow-up question is, what about those who never heard? And yeah. we'll try to talk about that in the future. All program. right. All right. Uh, good. Um, all right. Well, uh, we've, I think we've covered that uh, subject. you got one more question here in the remaining minutes of the program. Okay. All right. So sort of a, a side note, we don't believe in annihilation. In other words, we, I think we've made it clear that we think the Bible – um, um, uh, without doubt, the Bible makes it clear that those who have not lived righteous lives will not be annihilated. What about the possibility then that the Lord will send them back for another try? You know, the idea of reincarnation. You know, I didn't, I, I didn't, I didn't attain to the level I should have attained to in this lifetime. So the Lord's going to send me back again. He's going to keep sending me it's back a, a until I get it right, and and then I can go to be with him. Oh. Some of the world's religions teach that, famously teach the idea of Buddhism, for instance, is rife with the notion of reincarnation. Hinduism. Hinduism. So what about reincarnation? Does the I, I ask simply, does the Bible teach reincarnation? Mm. Um, All right. You've been here before, Monty? <laughs> well, the Bible says it's appointed to man once to die and then after that to judgment. So if we're reincarnated, that means I'm going to die twice or twice. three times or a dozen times, 50 times, however many it takes for me to get it right. Well, then that's more than once, and so that's against what the Bible I, says. I think that's the key verse, Monty. I think the key verse that if, if you wanted to have a one-verse answer to the whole subject of reincarnation, you'd, you'd have to pick Hebrews 9.27. It is appointed unto men once to die, and after this the judgment. Not appointed unto men to die any time more than one. One time to die and then judgment. Okay. 
So I think that's the key verse. But I think there's a lot of verses in the scripture that might imply we could we could uh, you know, they imply and we could infer from these implications that um, there is no reincarnation. Second so Samuel twelve twenty three. Remember David and Bathsheba committed mm-hmm. a sin. A child was born to Bathsheba, and the child became sick. And when the child died, David said, "Can I bring him back again?" I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. Right. In other words, no, he can't be brought back. I can go join him in the life hereafter, but I can't bring him back to this life. Job 14, beginning verse 1, Man that is born of woman is few, is a few days and full of trouble. He cometh forth like a flower and is cut down. Man has a few days, not many, day, not many days, not new days, but a few days. Yeah. Daniel 2, verse 12, uh, I think uh, Ramona mentioned this verse. Those that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Uh, notice those who sleep will not be reincarnated. Okay. Ecclesiastes 3 verse 2 says there is a time to be born and a time to die. Not many times to be born and many times to die. Okay. All verses like that. Um in Second Corinthians, I, I think I think this is a, an important New Testament text. In Second Corinthians chapter five, verse ten, I get my Bible to open to that. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse ten says, "We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that that he had done, whether it be good or bad." No, it's one body, yeah. and our judgment will be based upon the things done in. This body, yeah. one body, not in many bodies yeah. that have been ours by reincarnation. Yeah. Um, John 16, verse 13, beginning, Jesus promised the Holy Spirit would guide the apostles into all truth. Uh, that truth that they were guided into did not include anything about reincarnation. You know, there's a number of instances in the scripture where people were brought back to life. But they always came back. They, they they came back to the same body and the, and the same personhood. They never came back as a different person, a different being. Yeah. Uh, so it, some were brought back to life, but always as the same person, never as a, as a different entity. All right. If this notion of reincarnation was correct, then there wouldn't be a hell. If we're getting sent back because we didn't get it right this time to keep trying until we get it right, there wouldn't be any hell at all. We, we've already discussed that. Ultimately, that you'd is. get it right. Eventually, well, you'd, no, finally, you'd finally there get it go. right, yeah. and so you could go on into paradise, yeah. and there wouldn't be anybody being punished. All right. Um, Ramona has a couple proof texts that people might use for reincarnation. She, she says, some say John the Baptist was the reincarnation of Elijah, Malachi chapter 4, verse 5, See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. And then, obviously, John the Baptist was referred to as Elijah. But she says, but John the Baptist came as a prophet like Elijah, preparing the way, not as the actual Elijah. So she uh, clarifies that for us. But she says, some say Job believed in reincarnation, where he said, in Job 1, verse 21, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. It's an interesting observation. But, uh, again, for that to work, you and your mother would have to be reincarnated at the same time. Uh, so if she were to get out of this reincarnation loop, then you would have no way to get back to her womb. I don't uh, think he was talking about his mother's. I don't think he's going to return. I never took that verse to mean that he was going to return into his mother's womb. In other words, he was he's basically saying, I was, I was born naked. In other words, I came into this world without anything. That's why he's not talking about his physical condition of being naked. He's saying, I came into this world without anything. And when I leave this world, I won't take anything with yeah. me. You can't take it with you yeah. is sort of the expression right. you would use. Yeah. Then she concludes that she references what Monty did, Hebrews 9, verse 27. There is no reincarnation because it's point one, the man wants to die. And finally, quickly, Chris in the UK references Hebrews 9, verse 27 again. And he says, the longer answer is karma never deals with sin, and all you get is infinite regress, uh, infinite regress thing. Also, it has no objective evidence. It is contrary to common sense, science, sound, uh, psychology, and studies of human development, into uh, not to mention morality. Also, it is the antith- 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 
antithesis of resur- a resurrection. Reincarnation occurs many times into a different body, which is mortal t- t- to an imperfect intermediate state, whereas resurrection happens once into the same body, which is perfected and immortal as an ultimate eternal state. Thank you, Chris, for your thoughts. You know, one other thing we could have talked about tonight, we didn't. We didn't get into this doctrine of purgatory. Yeah. We could have talked about that. Which oh, uh, you sort of what is get, the, uh, I'll ask you. I'll ask you real quick. What does the Bible say about purgatory? It doesn't say anything about. Okay, it. we covered it. All right. We got it. <laughs> All right. That was easy. Yeah. Um, well, good discussion tonight. Thanks, important, important subject, and uh, again, uncomfortable subject, but one that we have to be prepared to discuss and prepared for eternally. Make sure that we're living as we should. Okay. Monty, thanks for being here tonight. Thank you, Jack. Thank you for your time, Dad. Thanks. Thank you for joining us. Hope you make uh, plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study his inspired word of the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.